Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for match. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I don't know why you didn't go back and listen to the first episode. It's right there, waiting for you to download. If you couldn't tell from the name, this is a podcast devoted to the DC Comics characters Black Canary and Zatanna, two superheroines often identified by the fishnet stockings that are part of their costumes. Starting this episode, every even-numbered installment will spotlight a Black Canary story from the comics, while odd-numbered shows focus on Zatanna. That means the Princess of Prestidigitation will not be covered this time, but on episode 3, I'll review her very first appearance from 1964. On today's episode, I'm going to cover issues 6 and 7 from the current Black Canary series. Why am I starting with issue 6 instead of, say, issue 1? Well, I already reviewed the first five issues of this series back in 2015 on another podcast, Flowers and Fishnets. Ordinarily, I would recommend going to iTunes and downloading those episodes to hear what happens in issues 1 through 5, but I've come to realize that's not actually possible at the moment. Short story version, the original hosting company I used for that podcast is no longer feeding the show to iTunes because I'm no longer paying them to do so. If you really want to hear episodes of Flowers and Fishnets, you can still play them on the show's blog page, which is blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. In the meantime, I am trying to figure out the simplest and cheapest way to get a new RSS feed for the old episodes. It'll probably involve creating a new website home and a new iTunes show listing. Hopefully, I'll have some more information about that soon. In the meantime, I'm going to assume you haven't read Black Canary issues 1 through 5, and I'll give you a quick recap of the series so far. Actually, I can assume most people haven't read the book, since its sales numbers were only so-so, and it's being cancelled in a couple of months. I'll talk more about that later on. The current version of Black Canary is the lead singer of a rock band, also called Black Canary. Long before joining a band, Dinah Drake's turbulent life began when her mother abandoned her when she was only four years old. Dinah bounced around foster homes for a couple of years and then ran away. When she was about 12, she was taken in by a martial arts instructor named Desmond Lamar. Sensei Desmond raised Dinah and taught her how to fight, but he died of cancer when she was around 19. After that, she was recruited into the army and joined an elite special forces unit called Team 7. While part of the team, Dinah was subjected to genetic experiments that gave her a sonic scream powerful enough to level a building. Because of this, her codename with Team 7 was Canary. She also fell in love with one of her teammates, Kurt Lance. The two were married in secret, but on one fateful mission, Canary lost control of her sonic scream and believed she had killed her husband. She fled from the special forces that trained her, in the process taking on the new codename Black Canary. None of this aligns with Dinah Lance's character history prior to 2011. The New 52 line change at DC Comics completely rewrote her biography. For the worse, I believe. After going rogue, Black Canary formed a team called Birds of Prey, with Batgirl, Katana, and some other women. But that team eventually broke up, 
partially because it had no in-story reason to exist, but also because Dinah had been lying to them about the fate of her husband, and also because she sold out to Rachel Ghoul for the chance to bring Kurt Lance back to life. So, when the Black Canary series began in 2015, Dinah had no friends, no support structure, and no options. Enter a mysterious record label, of all things, offering her a job fronting a rock band during their tour across the United States. Since the tour began, Black Canary, the woman and the band, has been targeted by shadowy government agents and some kind of weird alien monsters. The object of everyone's attention seems to be the band's mute child prodigy guitarist, Ditto, who has some weird powers of her own that have to do with music and or sound waves, and might be connected to Dinah's own sonic ability in some way. Dinah's husband, Kurt, no longer dead, was sent by Amanda Waller to capture Ditto, but he decides to tag along with the band as Black Canary's bodyguard, despite having no memories of his past life with Dinah. Another threat the band faces is the former lead singer, Bo Maeve, a gifted dancer and performer, but a true diva with an unimpressive singing voice. The label dropped Maeve in favor of Dinah, and Maeve vowed to get revenge. At one point, she managed to kidnap Ditto and deliver the child to Amanda Waller. In exchange, Waller gave Maeve a cocktail that scrambled her genes and gave her a sonic scream, just like Dinah's. As if there weren't enough players in this crazy drama, Ditto was rescued from Amanda Waller by a woman in a white ninja outfit, like a female version of Storm Shadow. The white ninja returned Ditto to Black Canary while keeping her involvement a secret. It is clear, though, that the white ninja wants something from Dinah, as she tried to get a blood sample. Could the white ninja be Dinah's long-lost mother, or something far more strange? Issue 5 culminated with a battle of the bands between Black Canary and Bo Maeve, where the jilted ex-singer let loose her sonic powers to devastating effect. And I'm going to pick up with my review of Black Canary Issue 6 right after this commercial break. Don't go away. My name is Stella, and I host Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. I, along with my dear friend Donovan Morgan Grant, are going to be hosting a special Backroll to Oracle episode called The Minority Report. I'm putting the call out right now for anyone that identifies himself or herself as a minority to have a discussion centering around this question. Are minorities portrayed properly in media? Now, Donovan Morgan Grant and I will be leading this discussion and would like your input. So whatever your nationality, ethnicity, gender identification, or sexual orientation, if you are interested in being a part of this conversation, please contact me at backrowtooracle at gmail.com. This discussion will take place in early 2016. Heterosexual white males need not apply. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing from you.
Black Canary Issue 6 is written by Brendan Fletcher with art by Annie Wu, colors by Lee Loffridge, and letters by Steve Wands. The book was edited by Chris Conroy with Dave Walgoss as assistant editor and Mark Doyle as group editor. Annie Wu drew the main cover, which shows Dinah and Ditto walking to or from a fight, seemingly wiping blood from the corners of their mouths. The text blurb on the cover says, No time to cry. The issue had a variant cover with a Looney Tunes theme, as most of DC's books that month did. The Looney Tunes variant was done by Pia Guerra and Spike Brandt, which depicts Black Canary in a police lineup surrounded by some classic Warner Brothers cartoon characters. Interesting to note, this cover gives Dinah's height at 5'7 or 5'8. The issue is titled Screaming Bloody Murder. It opens with Dinah in the back of a stretch limo with three very nervous-looking suits from her record label. She tells them that she just lost two people she loved, two friends who meant the world to her, and if she doesn't get some good answers, she's going to do something very painful to the suits. Cut to earlier that evening in the town of Waynefleet, where Black Canary, the band, has come to compete in a Battle of the Bands concert against Bo Maeve's new band, Bo M. As we saw last time, Maeve has a sonic scream nearly identical to Dinah's. Kurt Lance reasons that Amanda Waller must have given Maeve the power, and that Waller's agents are probably all over the place waiting for Maeve to take out Dinah so they can swoop in and kidnap Ditto. Dinah gets her band backstage and tells them that they're pulling out and canceling the tour, but her drummer and keyboardist, Lord Byron and Paloma Terrific respectively, draw Dinah's attention to a scribbling on the mirror. Ditto drew a perfect waveform line on the mirror with marker. When Paloma scans the wave with her phone, it plays an audio recording of something Dinah said at their last concert. Her voice, perfectly recorded but not using an actual device, just the wave drawn by Ditto. Dinah's monologue was about friendship and family. This is the closest Ditto has ever come to talking, using Dinah's own words to express herself. She doesn't want to quit. She doesn't want to run. She wants to stay together and play some music. Their tour manager, Heathcliff, who sucks at everything, by the way, tells them their equipment has been loaded on the stage. Dinah and Kurt think it's a mistake not to run, and run is what Ditto does, just in the wrong direction. She bolts for the stage. Next thing, we're on stage for an epic head-to-head rock-off between Black Canary, fronted by Dinah and backed by Ditto on guitar, Lord Byron on drums, and Paloma on keyboards, versus Bo M, fronted by Bo Maeve and backed by Anti-Gravity on drums, Bonfire on guitar, and Harpy on bass. All names of Black Canary villains from decades ago, by the way. The bands begin to play and the crowd loves it. Having no interest in fighting fair, Bohem begins to sabotage Black Canary right in the middle of the show. With her fierce talon-like nails, Harpy cuts the power cables to Paloma's gear. Anti-Gravity uses her power to negate gravity to throw Lord Byron and her drum kit clear off the stage. Dinah smacks Anti in the face, who then uses her power to fling Dinah up into the stage lights high above. Dinah kicks one of the lights from the rig. It falls, nearly crushing Anti. Dinah drops to the ground and promises to beat her like a snare drum, so anti-gravity just runs away. Bonfire strums her guitar, which doubles as a flamethrower, like in Mad Max Fury Road. Dinah defends herself and whips some cymbals at Bonfire like throwing stars. Then she picks up a loose guitar and whacks Bonfire off the stage. Harpy slashes at Dinah, 
The two fight for a couple of seconds, but then Paloma plugs Harpy's base into the fuse box, causing a surge of electricity that knocks Harpy out. Bo Maeve screams and curses. We've always known she was a sore loser, but she threatens to use her sonic scream to murder everyone in the crowd if Black Canary doesn't pick up their instruments and play one more song so she can prove she's the best. Black Canary agrees. The band begins to play. Dinah begins to sing. Then Maeve sings. And, well, some stuff happens. Dinah and Maeve send out competing waves of sonic energy, and Ditto's powers amplify those of Dinah and Maeve. The waves ripple outward until they both overlap at the point where Ditto is standing. Kurt Lance rushes onto the stage, screaming for Ditto to get out of the way before the sonic waves overtake her. It's too late. Kurt clutches Ditto to his chest, then the powerful sound waves overwhelm them, causing a distortion effect that simply blinks Kurt and Ditto out of existence. One second they're there... The next, not. Everything goes quiet. The crowd is freaked. The band is heartbroken. The only one who speaks is Maeve, who cries that it's not her fault. She never wanted to be the bad guy. She didn't want anything bad to happen to Ditto. Dinah and the others give her a guilt stare until she runs away. Then Heathcliff, who's the worst, runs in and tells them that they need to get out before the cops arrest them. Outside of the venue, the limo from A&B Records is waiting. The suits tell Black Canary that they have their answers if they just get in the car. And that's where we pick up from the beginning. The limo takes Dinah and the others to Wentworth Tower in Gotham City. They take an elevator up to the top floor to meet with the CEO, Mr. Pike. Dinah demands an explanation for why she was partnered with this band and placed on this insane tour. But she is shocked, shocked to realize that Mr. Pike is actually Kurt Lance, but seemingly aged 50 years or so. Kurt says that they have all been playing parts that were specifically choreographed in a grand symphony. Kurt was the conductor, and Ditto, who is alive and well, was the composer. And that's where the issue ends, with Ditto and Kurt somehow still alive. Okay, the first thing I want to mention is that this issue was delayed more than a month. Issue 5 came out in mid-October. This issue came out at the end of December. I did some inquiries before this issue came out on the state of the book and why such a long delay. The answer I got was basically Annie Wu needed more time to draw the book, and if you see it, you can understand how this would be a more difficult book to illustrate than your average comic book. I'll put a few pages on the Fire & Water website so you can see what I'm talking about. What's telling, I think, is that ordinarily, a publisher would yank the artist off a book or assign a fill-in or put multiple artists on the issue to make sure it got out in time. They agreed that the best thing for the book was to let Annie Wu take as much time as she needed to get it done right. And the final product shows. Her art on this series has always been part of its signature. Nothing else looks like Black Canary. And nothing else looks like this issue. The pages when the bands go head-to-head -head are incredible. The way she includes tablature in place of old-fashioned Batman-style sound effects like Bam and Kapow, it's really, really stunning to look at. As for the story, I have one reservation about it, and it's nothing to do with the script for this book, but rather for the storyline as a whole. This is the sixth issue, and it really feels like it should have been the fourth or fifth. Dinah is finally demanding an audience with this mysterious record label that put her on tour for reasons she never understood. She suspected their devious intentions for a while. Why did it take so long for this confrontation? And even still, once Ditto and Kurt seem to be dead, it's the company, be it Kurt's Mr. Pike disguise or whatever, that sends the limo to Black Canary. 
Would she have stormed the building on her own if they didn't summon her? I wish this arc had progressed a little bit faster, and it's not even done. We still have issue 7 to resolve some dangling threads. But getting back to what I really liked about this chapter, most of the story is the Battle of the Bands, Black Canary versus Bo M, and it's pretty awesome. Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu put themselves at a place of obvious disadvantage from the beginning. Comics are a silent medium. We can't hear what the music sounds like. We have to imagine it or ignore it. But they both do everything in their power to capture the mood, the feel, and the rush of the music within these pages. The fighting is fast and fun. I love how Fletcher integrated previous Black Canary villains into Maeve's band. Anti-Gravity and Bonfire were disposable rogues from Dinah's backup stories in World's Finest and Detective Comics. They look and act great, and now that they're here, maybe they can come back again in future stories. I cannot heap enough praise on Lee Lawfridge, either. As amazing as Annie Wu's lines look on the concert scenes, what Lawfridge does with the colors to distinguish between Black Canary and Bo M, the good guys and the bad guys, and the sonic energy rising from their instruments, it's really incredible to look at. I don't know when the next Eisner Awards are up, but this book better be nominated in a couple of categories. So... Ultimately, the art during the concert made this issue worth the wait, and the distortion effect when Kurt and Ditto seem to die is unreal. It's not like a pixelated effect, it's like they're phasing out of space-time, but with a real retro art sensibility. Beautiful page. Go to fireandwaterpodcast.com to see what I'm talking about. Okay, that was issue 6. I'm going to take another promo break, and then I'll be back with the next issue. Welcome to Astro City, a Pulp to Pixel podcast, an issue-by-issue ratings and review of the creator-owned comic book series Astro City by the writer-artist team of Kurt Fusick, Brent Anderson, and Alex Ross. You can find episodes of Welcome to Astro City and other Pulp to Pixel podcasts at pulptopixel.blogspot.com pulptopixel.tumblr.com through the iTunes store under the Pulp to Pixel Podcasts and through Facebook at the Pulp to Pixel Podcast webpage. Black Canary Issue 7 came out in January of 2016 with the same creative team as the previous issue. Brendan Fletcher script, Annie Wu art, Lee Lawfridge colors, Steve Wan's letters. Same trio of editors, the only notable addition on the title page is that the issue is dedicated to the memory of David Bowie. We open with a 4x4 grid panel layout of disparate images, moments from Dinah's past, with Kurt Lance played to a melody performed by Ditto in scenes that could be literal or symbolic, but are probably symbolic. All the while, something dark and terrible and huge is stalking the players. This monster is called the Quietus. It's the embodiment of silence and entropy, the lack of sound and music, and it's coming to kill Ditto. Old Man Kurt flies Dinah and the rest of her band to Gotham Stadium in his private helicopter. He explains that Ditto is not human, a surprise to nobody who's been following along, really. He describes her as sentient sound given material form, and she comes from a whole race like that, living beings that exist as sound. But Ditto is kind of a mutant. She can turn sound into stable matter, something her kind isn't able to do. So they view her as a threat and have sent monsters to hunt her since the series began. 
Kurt explains that the feedback from Dinah and Maeve's sonic scream during the Battle of the Bands disrupted Ditto, knocking her out of sync with our time, taking Kurt with her. But Ditto was able to reassemble both of them on a molecular level, bringing them back to Earth, just in a different time and place, hence why he looks so old. During the journey through space and time, however, Kurt was able to learn things, so when he popped up years ago, but years older, he could make a fortune and be rich enough to start the record label, send the band on tour, and now fly them to Gotham Stadium, where the most sophisticated sound equipment is ready to be used as weapons in the war against the Quietus. Ah, time paradox stuff. Oh yeah, the Quietus is like the size of Godzilla, by the way. It's big and looks like it's made of purple goo like the monsters Dinah fought earlier in the series. As Black Canary takes the stage, Dinah has a moment of doubt where she tells the others to run away, to leave the fighting to her. She says she's never been a singer, this isn't her world, she's a warrior. She'll throw everything she has at the Quietus, but she won't risk the lives of Ditto and Lord Byron and Paloma. It's nice sentiment, but they've all heard this before, and they basically tell Dinah to shut up, because this fight belongs to all of them. Then Bo Maeve shows up to spoil the moment. She volunteers to lend her voice, and she even wraps her arms around Ditto in affection when she realizes that she didn't kill the little girl. Dinah tells Maeve to get lost before she whoops her ass, but Kurt countermands that order. Maeve is part of the plan. Ditto wanted Maeve to get part of Dinah's canary cry. They create oppositional frequencies when they sing slash scream, and those frequencies cause a destructive blast that can hurt the quietus. Then, of course, Amanda Waller and her government spooks show up, wanting to take everyone into custody. Kurt manages to hold her off long enough for the quietus to attack the stadium so they can prove that the only thing capable of stopping the monster is by letting Black Canary play. The band tunes up and starts rocking, but the creature doesn't stop. Every sound, every note they throw at it fails to halt the destructive path of the silent creature. It begins to absorb their sound waves, quieting the music. When Amanda Waller complains that the plane isn't working, the quietus even steals the sound of her voice, turning her mute. It siphons all the sound, muting Lord Byron's drums, Paloma's kits, Ditto's guitars, the ladies' vocals. All sound is fading to silence. Then Dinah grabs her microphone and throws it right at the creature's mouth. It screams, and the noise temporarily gives some of the sound back. It's enough time for Dinah to grab the microphone stand and attack the creature in the way that she knows best, with her fists and her feet. Unfortunately, the quietus is too big and too strong. It knocks her to the ground and is about to crush her. Dinah unleashes a sonic scream, but it's all muted. Then, at the last second, a cymbal from the drum kit whizzes through the air like a blade and sticks in the quietest shoulder. The mysterious white ninja who saved Ditto before stands on the stage. She throws cymbals, and each strikes the quietest like a dagger, sticking in its head, its arms, and its chest. Byron and Paloma follow suit. Then the ninja throws an actual throwing star. It clangs off the cymbal, creating an actual sound that resonates and disorients the monster. Byron and Paloma pick up on this cue. They grab drumsticks and begin pounding on the cymbals, each crash disrupting and damaging the quietus. As the monster staggers, weakened, Dinah and Maeve join hands and belt out a pair of canary cries that overwhelm the quietus, disrupting it, blinking it out of existence, just like they did before at the Battle of the Bands. When the wave dissipates, the monster is gone, and the ladies have their voices back. 
Maeve runs over to Ditto, happy to find that the child alien music thing is still alive and well. The original band members huddle together in a loving embrace. Amanda Waller says this changes nothing. She still needs to take Ditto in to study her alien genetic makeup. But Kurt Lance is willing to offer himself instead. He says part of Ditto's power is now locked in his genes, too. He turns himself over to Waller in exchange for letting the band go free. Speaking of which, Lord Byron notices that Dinah has disappeared. Dinah wakes up in her bedroom, the bedroom she slept in as a kid before she was orphaned. She's a little out of phase with time, too. We see her flashing back to childhood and then adulthood as the white ninja tells her to remember. The ninja pulls back her mask, revealing her recognizable face to Dinah. She offers her hand and says together they can find the one person who can put their lives back together. And with that, the first story arc in Black Canary comes to a close. The freaky muck monsters, now officially called the Quietus, have been defeated. Amanda Waller's government spooks are no longer hunting Ditto and the band. Kurt Lance is old and blind, and sacrifices himself to government poking and prodding so the band can keep on rocking and rolling. And the band? Well, our last glimpse of it sees Bo Maeve back with her old friends, and Dinah absent. Is this the end of Black Canary as a band? Is Maeve the lead singer again? While she has been the villain throughout, she's not pure evil, just a little sociopathic. She doesn't want to hurt anybody, she just wants to be the most loved. We'll have to wait and see where this goes. What we do know, what we've known for a while now, is that Dinah has some unresolved baggage with the White Ninja, and that's what's going to play out in the next couple of issues. Is the White Ninja Dinah's mother? Is she Dinah's sister, like a version of Sarah Lance from the television shows Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow? That character on Legends, by the way, is called the White Canary. Is that the real title of the ninja? We'll have to keep reading, but I'm excited to find out. In the meantime, what were my thoughts on this issue? I sound like a track on repeat, but the art is gorgeous. Pencils, inks, colors, everything is just amazing to look at. And Dinah's characterization feels spot on when she tells the band to run and let her fight alone. That's the kind of hero she is, the kind that wants to assume all the responsibility for herself, but never has to because she inspires so many others to fight with her. Wonderful stuff right there. Now, I wasn't sure how I would feel about a series that's been as oddball and unsuperhero-like as this book, having a climactic showdown with a big daikaiju-like monster or villain. That seems like kind of the opposite of what this book is. But at the same time, it is very fitting, because this book is in part about a rock band, and the zenith for a rock band is playing a stadium show, going full out, amping up the sound until the instruments explode, playing for their very lives, and that's exactly what we get here. In a way, this is how the story had to end, and it's a great conclusion because it's really fun. You've never seen a monster fight like this, where sound is the weapon, and the key to victory is using sonic vibrations as weapons, even pounding against the monster's own body to create those vibes. It's creative, it's cool, it makes me want to drum something. And throughout it all, we never forget that Dinah's not in her natural element. This isn't her jam. She wants to punch and kick this monster. That's where she causes the most damage, until the final scream. Dinah is a warrior, as she says. She might have a better-than-average voice, but she's built for battling supervillains with Wonder Woman and Batgirl. And maybe that's the direction the book will take for its second half. We already know that number 12 will be the last issue in the series, so Black Canary has now had two chances for an ongoing series, and neither could last more than a year. 
I can't say I'm surprised, really. The quality of the series has been terrific every time. Every issue impresses me, but the style and tone are probably too quirky for mainstream audiences, and Canary still doesn't have the big-name recognition, so the book's sales numbers aren't enough for the bean counters at Warner Brothers. DC did reveal that one of their new books coming out of the Rebirth launch this summer would be Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. I imagine we'll see Black Canary as part of that team, and I would be surprised if Brendan Fletcher isn't the writer of that book, since he's been writing both Batgirl and Black Canary for the last year. We'll find out in a couple of months. But hey, we've still got five more issues in this run, and we've still got secrets to uncover, which we'll start doing on episode four. And that is going to be all for this episode. I do want to mention that the first episode received a ton of great feedback, and it's really, really appreciated. I'm going to try to address listener feedback on every third or fourth episode, probably when I'm only covering one comic, so the shows aren't too long. However, I must give a special shout-out to Dr. G of Nerdology this time for providing the show with its very first piece of digital fan art. It looks awesome. I'm going to put it up on the website and on Twitter so you can check it out. And Dr. G runs the Pulp to Pixel podcast, which includes Welcome to Astro City and Secret Sagas of the Multiverse. It's a good show. I recommend checking it out. And yeah, big thanks for the fan art. Awesome stuff. Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at BlackCanaryFan, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics. The views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. And since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. They put you down.